0: Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe say the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. And happy Easter again to you. Right. Now, I don't say that because I'm concerned whether or not you were here last Sunday, but to remind you that Easter is a 50 day season. Easter goes from Easter Sunday to Pentecost Sunday. We'll celebrate that in about a month. Just kind of theologically reminding you here that Lent is 40 days, technically 46 on the calendar, but we don't count Sundays. Even so, Lent is shorter, a shorter season than the Easter season. So preparing for Jesus isn't quite as long as us celebrating. and We celebrate it all the time, but we should have it in the front of our minds, the things that Jesus did for us. So I'll continue more of those little um, nuggets as we continue through this Easter series and this celebration. But this morning... I want to remind you about the things that we've been talking about here all along, right? And I'll remind you that the, the ancient Hebrew rabbis talked about Scripture being like a gem, right? By the way, when I set this down, if it shines right in your eye, like a lot of people have told me, that means you're the chosen one, and then you have to stack chairs as soon as the service is over, okay? So, tough crowd, all right. So nobody's going to stack chairs like oh, that. Like he said, uh, the rabbi said that, uh, that Scripture had 70 faces to it, 70 facets to it, Just like a gem. And every time you turn that gem in your hand, every time you turn that verse in your hand, you should see something new and see something different, something that God wants to teach you. And I can't emphasize this enough. That's exactly what we have to do right now in in the stories that we're listening to, the historical accounts that we're listening to, because we probably know them so well. We've been hearing them for you know, since we were this high. I didn't even set the stage for the gospel message that I read this morning, even though it's kind of in the middle of the context of things. I didn't think I had to set it because everybody knows about the two disciples going to the road to Emmaus. If you don't, I'm going to fill it all in here in a second. But this morning, we got to turn that gem. And the rabbi said, if you aren't turning that gem and looking into it and seeing your reflection come back from those verses, seeing yourself in those verses, you're missing the point. If we look at this like we're reading some historical account about somebody else, about something that happened to somebody in their life somewhere, some autobiography or something like that, if we're reading it like that, we're missing the point. And until we can put ourselves in the sandals of the people that are walking along and experience what they experienced, we're, we're missing the point. Because here's the thing. We experience what they are experiencing or what they were experiencing. We just don't always recognize it the same way they did. Right? If somebody was writing the narrative about you and writing about your experiences, they would write them about the same way that they're writing the, the ones that are going on here. So now, I want to start this morning about talk, telling you about a rock, a very special rock, but a rock nonetheless. Um, uh, it was found in, a, in Africa in a, a diamond mine, and it, was, uh, it might have looked something like this. Uh, this is a little out of context, and sorry that there's nothing there for size. This is about the size of a small fist. This rock is about the size of a small fist. Diamond in the rough, Right? Although it looks kind of rough and it looks kind of, you know, sorry looking. um, It was considered to be the most significant diamond um, ever found in the world. And it was presented to the king of England to blaze in his uh, royal crown. The king sent it to Amsterdam. And it was put in the hands of an expert lapidary. Where's the lapidary? That's a person that polishes rocks and does things with rocks, right? And so this lapidary um, took this priceless gem, the finest the world had ever seen. And he actually, believe it or not, cut a notch in this thing. He cut this rock. And then he took this this hammer-like thingy, right? This is actually Grandma's uh, potato masher, believe it or not, but there, thank you. All right, uh, shout out to Grandma, you know. Took a chisel, put it on top of that crack, gave it a whack, and split that rock into two pieces. Now, if you didn't know better, you'd say this is an act of recklessness, wastefulness, almost um, criminal right, uh, carelessness, but not exactly, because not everything that looks reckless or careless or criminal is actually. See, for days, for weeks, that rock was studied, and plans were made, drawings were made up of it, models were made up of that gem, looking at its qualities, looking at its defects, looking at the lines of cleavage that had been studied to minutia. And then the one who delivered that blow was the world's expert, right, lapidary. So make no mistake about it, it was, that was the one thing, that, that blow to that gem, was the one thing that would bring that raw rock into the most magnificent gem that the world had ever seen. That blow took that shapeless, radiant thing and turned it into a jeweled splendor. The blow that seemed to ruin this precious stone was, in fact, its awakening. And from those two halves, not one, but two of the most magnificent gems in the world uh, has ever seen were produced. And that skillful lapidary saw that. He saw all that hidden in that rough stone there. Now, what does all that have to do with Sunday? What does that have to do with the Easter, the Easter season that I just talked to you about? Well, the Easter season is the time that we celebrate that, that God is the most skilled lapidary the universe has ever seen. And he takes rough things and he makes them jewels. A few thousand years ago, he sent his most precious jewel his son, Jesus, into the world with a divine plan. God had a divine plan. And only his keen eye could comprehend what was going on. Jesus came to earth, make no mistake about it, Jesus came to earth and we were able to see the most precious jewel ever in the history of mankind. And yet, even though we walked with him, they walked with him and saw him and spoke with him, didn't fully comprehend how precious that gem really was. How precious and rare Jesus really was. And then as John says it, in the fullness of time, he says, Jesus put himself into the hands of the enemy to be dealt a blow. To be dealt a blow to the unaided eye, looked and seemed destructive, reckless, wasteful, a blow that maybe ended all God's plans, but in fact that blow put God's plans all into motion. The enemy thought that in striking that blow, this rare jewel would be destroyed, but God had other ideas. Again, God's keen eye, right, brought victory from that death blow. Even with Jesus being placed in the tomb for three days, and after that moment, you know, rising back from the dead three days, he came out even more dazzling than he went in. And just like that diamond we were talking about here a second ago, that blow seemed to be the end of that precious stone, was in fact the awakening. Now, it's a very good thing that we have five Sundays to celebrate Easter because a lot went on, and a lot happened. There's a lot for us to unpack on those days after Jesus stepped out of the tomb. So as that is a backdrop this morning, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the progression of the gospel, the progression of the gospel that we see in the message that Jesus lays out for us here. And here's the thing. Here's, Here's your job this morning. Every time you read the Bible, you have to put yourself into that narrative. You have to put yourself into the narrative that that we're going to unpack here this morning. And you have to think, I'm just like those guys both ways. I'm doing the same thing they did, and I'm getting the same things that they are getting in a really good way. So see, these two disciples are on their way home from Jerusalem. And it would have been enough at this moment in history, it would have been enough of a letdown just going back home because um, they're on their way home from the celebration of the year. And you know how you get really pumped up for a celebration and then and you go to it, you have a great time and then you start heading home and there's kind of a little bit of a letdown. Even though there's still still some excitement, there's a little bit of a letdown cuz you know, you think you got to do all that laundry when you get home, you got to go back to work tomorrow morning and so there's that, you know, little sinking. That's what these guys are going through right now. That's what they're doing. So that's what these guys are are experiencing when we read about them. And again, um, we'll use what they were going through what they were going through to help us navigate through the problems and hang-ups and things that we encounter in our experience, in our relationship, not only with each other and our relationship with the world, but especially with our, our relationship with God, with Christ, our risen Lord Jesus. Okay, so these disciples um, faced some challenges. They faced some obstacles. They faced some difficulties, right? And again, put ourselves in this moment. Because we face the same things that they're facing. Right? It just looks different. But it's like a song. You know, I always say this. It might be a different verse, but it rhymes with the other ones. It's part of the same song. We all have our own verse that goes to it, but it's all part of the same song. So what they're going through are things that we're going through. The first challenge, the first obstacle they faced, let me tell you like this, was confusion. Have you ever been confused? Have you ever felt confused about what's going on in the gospel, what's going on in your life? They, along with everybody else, all the other, all the other disciples, were confused as these unbe- events unfolded. And this whole scene plays out like, like a one-act play. It plays out like a one-act play. The viewers um, know something that the players don't. That's a very powerful thing when we're watching a TV show or something like that, and we know something that that guy doesn't know, and he's going to walk into it or he's not going to walk into it, right? And we're watching to see how it's going to happen. We're told right up front that Jesus um, uh, is walking with these guys. But they don't know that. And I think we should be able to relate to that. We should sympathize. We should understand their confusion. Because as they traveled, some dude joined them. And like I said, we're told it's Jesus here in verse 15. Um, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But they didn't know it. right? And Jesus, being the good rabbi he is, he starts asking questions. Right? That's a rabbi way of teaching. They start asking questions to get the conversation going, to get the conversation flowing, to get us thinking. So he asked a qu- couple questions. Right? Where are we, 17? Um, then he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? This is a cool um, Greek kind of colloquialism. It literally means, what are these words that you're lobbing back and forth, almost like a ping pong ball or a tennis ball or a hot potato? What are these things that you're bouncing back and forth together? And I love the way this, this is laid out in, in, in the verse, in the Bible. It says, it says, they stopped dead in their tracks, and they looked at this guy, and their mouths hung open a little bit. And this guy named Cleopas, who we don't really know a whole lot about, but man, shout out to him because he got his name in the New Testament, right? So kudos, right? Cleopas says, dude, what do you mean? What do you think we're talking about? He says something like, Wait, have you been in a cave all weekend? And Jesus says, well, as a matter of fact, I wasn't cave. <laughs> Cleopas says, don't you know the things that have happened here? In my favorite verse, well, today in the Bible, Paul, shall we do? Verse 19, Jesus said to them, what things? What are, what are we talking about here? And they said, the rest of 19. They said to the things about Jesus, the Nazarene. Who's a prophet, mighty indeed in the word and sight and God and all the people. And then he goes on, he says, But the chief priests handed him over to our enemies and they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. And then they get real with it. They said, And we really thought he was the one. We were so sure. How could we have been so wrong about something that was so obvious? We thought he was the Messiah. And now he's dead. And we don't know how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We don't know how to pick up the pieces and go on. We're, we're not sure what's going to happen. Luke 21, they actually use the word hope. It says, we were hoping that he was... Now, this is the New Testament hoping. This isn't, I hope it's going to stop raining because I want to go chop wood this afternoon. No, this is, this is a hope that something we know is going to happen. Like saying, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow morning. It's a ridiculous statement, but that's what that word hope means. Something we know is going to happen. Something we trust, something we believe. Something we expect. Now, just gut check here, turning the gem a little bit. How about you? What about you? Have you ever been there where these and the other disciples were? They said, we know, we saw, we witnessed what Jesus can do. And yet, here we are. And pieces are laying all over the place. Have you been there? Said things like, I prayed so hard for something to happen or something to not happen, and yet, here we are. I put my faith, I put my trust, I put my hope in Jesus, and yet, here we are. So those guys say that to Jesus along the way. Here we are. And Jesus Kind of rolls up his sleeves. And he starts with the sentence of, have you understood nothing? Another good rabbi question. Have you understood nothing? And you know, this is, it says that Jesus started with the law and the prophets. That literally means he started from the beginning. Uh, the Hebrew Bible is in a different order than ours is. Uh, it starts with, a, with the five books of Moses and then it goes right straight to the prophets. And so Jesus, and it literally says he started the beginning and, and worked his way through it. Right? Sometimes we've got to go back to the beginning and work our way through it. He said things that, um, that might not be how, thing, things might not be how they think it should be. He said, "I get that. I get that things aren't the way you want them to be." And he says the same thing to us. You know, Sometimes we get confused, we get things turned around a little bit. Because we, somehow we think, because we're Christians now, the world should be made out of nerf and, and we should be wrapped in bubble wrap. But that's not the reality of it. Even though we're Christians, cars still crash. Houses still burn. People still die. And as Jesus said to those two sitting at the table... He said, it's the way the story continues that makes us different. That's what makes a difference. the way the story continues. And we're going we're to experience communion here a little later in the morning. And they did together that day at the table. And when Jesus broke the bread, that's when he revealed to them who he was. Suddenly they recognized that Jesus had been there all along. They thought that Jesus left and he was nowhere to be seen because all of these things are happening. And that's where we put ourselves. All these things are happening, so Jesus isn't here. He must not be who he said he was. He must not be who I thought he was. Otherwise, why are these things happening like this? Why don't things look the way I want them to? And so their confusion, Jesus brought their eyes, opened their eyes. Literally, the scales fell off their eyes. Suddenly they recognized that he'd been there all along. So they did a 180. That confusion suddenly turned to confession. Confession in the Greek means to speak the same words. Homologeos. Literally a compound word that means the same words. To be speaking the same words together. And the disciples looked at each other because Jesus now disappeared in front of their eyes. And they said, huh. I, did you know he was saying I, I knew it was him. I, I, I just knew. How did, how did we miss this? What were we thinking? I'll tell you again what they were thinking. What they were thinking is that things don't look the way we want them to, so we assumed that Jesus wasn't who he said he was because things aren't the way I want them to be. And there's pieces laying all over the place. And if we seriously can't look in that verse and look in that story and see our reflection coming back, you've got to look again. Because there's times in all of our lives that we look at that gem and we look at those verses and we say, is Jesus who he says he is? Because otherwise, why? Since things don't look the way we want them to, we naturally assume that. And then those disciples, what's the lesson from it? They start kicking themselves for being so dull. For falling into that way of thinking, how could we have allowed ourselves to think like that? Because look at the things that we knew, look at the things that we learned. They might not have been able to theologically break it down from the, from the law and the prophets like Jesus did for them. By the way, if anybody ever invents a time machine, I'm going back to that moment right there and I'm sitting at that table and I want to hear Jesus talk from law and the prophets and talk about how he fits through the whole thing. I want to know that lesson. I'm on my phone with me so I can record it. So they're kicking themselves for falling into that way of thinking. And we fall into that way of thinking. I'm just being honest. We fall into that way of thinking. And we forget verses like Philippians 1.29. that says, here is what God, he has given you to do for Christ. You must not only believe, but you know, suffer for it. It's got to be a misprint, right? Because isn't the world supposed to be made out of nerf and we're wrapped in bubble wrap and... Little lambsy-divies. How about 1 Peter 4.16? But if anyone suffers as a Christian, is not to be ashamed it's to glorify God in this name. We've got a few minutes. Would you like to see the 25 cross-references that I looked up that say exactly the same thing? Exactly the same thing. So these guys, in, in their defense, I mean... They were confused by what had happened, and we can understand it. it. Like we know something that they didn't know, but we're sitting in the same place that we don't know a lot of things that, that are going to. Ever felt confused by what happened? God says that's okay. He says it's okay, but he also says, like Jesus said, don't forget everything else that you know. Don't forget all the other pieces of the puzzle that fit in to make that big picture. It's okay to be confused by what's going on. Somewhere in the next four weeks, we're going to talk about doubts. We're going to talk about fears. We're going to lay those out. Again, sometimes we just sweep that stuff under the rug and say, well, good Christians don't talk about this, so we're just going to go back to love Jesus. And No, let's talk about some real stuff. Let's get it out there so that we can deal with it, so we can understand it the way that these guys understood it, the way that these guys experienced it, because this is you. When we look in that gem, we got to see ourselves bouncing back, reflecting back. So they start off with this mass confusion, and again, completely understandable. They had no idea that was going down. Right? And then when Jesus said, no, this is exactly how it's supposed to go down, they went from confusion to confession. And I want to show you the conclusion of this. And I want to, again, put us in these words and in these places. The disciples, all the disciples, they're all confused. They're all perplexed. It's a state of chaos right now. They don't know which way to turn or whether they should turn or not. And then a crazy thing starts happening. This pattern starts happening. And when we read through these verses, we start turning this around a little bit. We start seeing, seeing this again. The common denominator is they all start having these encounters with Jesus. And then there's a common thread that goes through all of those encounters. He spoke to the, to the women at the tomb. And what do they do? They went back to the disciples to tell them what happened, to give them that news, to give them those words of comfort, to give them those words of reassurance, even though they didn't make any sense. Jesus meets Peter. We're not, we're not sure where exactly how, but we know that it happened. What does Peter do? Peter goes back to the other disciples to tell them what happened, that he had an encounter with Jesus, to give them words of comfort, to give them words of reassurance. Jesus meets these two dudes on the road, and what do they do? They hightail it back to Jerusalem, seven miles back to Jerusalem, to tell the other disciples what had happened, that they encountered Jesus to give them words of comfort, to give them words of reassurance. And here's the part that we've got to connect here. The way Jesus shows up in our lives is too good to keep to ourselves. The way Jesus shows up in your life is too good to keep to yourself. Because here's the thing, and, there, and there's no getting around this. Oftentimes, the world is a battleground, not a playground. And oftentimes, the Christian life, even though we're not supposed to think like the Christian life is a battleground. We think it should be a playground all the time. We think everything should go our way when we want it, how we want it, and where we want it. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and tell you that Jesus would like to remind you of a couple things this morning when it comes to this. First of all, he wants to remind you that his name is Jesus. We had a mini-series that we're going to pick up later on about the names of God. Jesus, The name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. That's why when the angel came to Mary, he said, you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people. So, he'd like to remind you that his name is Jesus. His name is not Genie, and he doesn't look like this. Right? He'd also like to remind you that he came out of a tomb, he didn't come out of that little lamp. He'd also like to remind you that sometimes a rock has to be split in half to be able to release its purpose and its meaning, and its significance. And through this 50 days of Easter, I want to keep reminding you that God the Father is the expert lapidary. And when when the confusion comes, when the confusion comes, run to him, and let him open your eyes. There's a prayer in Psalm 119, verse 18, that says exactly that. Open my eyes so that I can see all the wonderful things in your teachings. What that does is helps us when the confusion comes, when things don't look the way we want them to, and we realize that the world isn't made out of nerf, and we're not bubble-wrapped, and there's a battleground that we're in the middle of, when that confusion comes, pray to him to open your eyes, let him see the things that he wants you to see. Amen? Okay, would you please stand with me?